Podcast for the what the hell is it? It's the 9th of January. I was gonna say it was a 20. What was, was the stupid play? I did a, did a play in high school, the night of January 16th. That was the play I did in high school, the night of January 16th. It's not January 16th, so it's irrelevant. Way to start off the show by ripping the needle off the record. All right. Anyway, welcome to the program. I am Derek Hunter. I appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors. Lock up your children, especially your daughters that are 18. Anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to get to, ladies and or gentlemen. And I've decided I'm going to wait another week for to restart the contest. But I'm going to tell you what the book is that's going to be up for grabs next week. Because, well, it's pretty awesome. And then I'm going to try and work on getting something else signed. I've got two options. Either go to Joe Concha and get him to sign his copy of Come On Man or bother Schlichter and get his uh, what is it? We'll Be Back signed. But I don't know. I don't know if either one of them are going to be done, but I know what is done. Bo Snerdley's book, Rush on the Radio. I've got that one in hand, and that'll be the book that is up for grabs starting next Monday. So, boom. Um, after a nice Snerdley hit on the show, you can win the Snerdley book. Hardcover autographed you can't beat it the man the myth the legend snurdly so go to patreon.com slash derek hunter podcast sign up now so you don't miss when the contest is posted all right let us uh joe biden went down to the emmanuel ame church i'll get into that more he shouldn't every time there's a, a you know a christian conservative church that's in the news what does the left do they say oh uh they should really not be engaged in politics. We might have to look at getting rid of their tax-exempt status. Is there any talk of that here? No, weird, weird, right, isn't it? Isn't that weird? Seems weird. But uh, it was nothing. Joe Biden is such a freaking hypocrite and horrible person that his own Secretary of Defense doesn't even want to talk to him. Not that you can blame the guy. We'll, we'll get in with that. The Secretary of Defense has been in the hospital and was in the hospital since New Year's Day. I don't know. It just got absolutely hammered on New Year's Eve. I don't know what it is. But Lloyd Austin has been in the hospital. He was in the hospital for like three or four days before anybody knew about it. He didn't bother to tell anybody. That is a sign of one of two things. You would think there's two wars going on right now. You've got mess in the Middle East. And you got a mess in Ukraine. The Secretary of Defense is kind of critical to both of those things. You'd think the Secretary of Defense would be in not constant contact, but daily contact with the President of the United States. You'd want him to be, wouldn't you? And no, he just disappears. He's off the radar. Nobody bothers to notice. And nobody at the White House goes, say, you know, New Year's Day is, was a Monday. Tuesday, maybe you go, oh, maybe they just, uh, they're celebrating or whatever. He watched college football late, taking the day off, no press. Wednesday, you go, that's weird. We should have probably heard from the Secretary of Defense by now. Thursday, you're certainly probably shooting an email to somebody's executive assistant going, hey, uh, 
are you guys coming over to talk to us about the, you know, the whole war thing anytime soon? But it wasn't until Friday that the secretary of, it was reported in the media that the secretary of defense was in the hospital. It wasn't even like the White House was frantically going, hey, where the hell's the secretary of defense? Now that means that either they don't talk very often or the, uh, maybe the secretary of defense was kind of given a free hand. Maybe the handlers of Joe Biden said, look, you don't need to brief this guy. Every day. He doesn't remember what happened at breakfast. You're kind of wasting your time. Don't worry about it. Um, just shoot us an email every once in a while and we'll take care of it. Or the Secretary of Defense looks at the President of the United States because the Pentagon is doing a whole lot of things at the time of two wars that we are at, at a minimum tangentially involved in. The Secretary of Defense is looking at the President of the United States as somebody he doesn't need to brief, somebody he doesn't want to brief. One of the things I learned working in the United States Senate was that Joe Biden, and this was back in 2006, when Biden was still a senator, Joe Biden is not somebody that other senators took seriously. He was not known. If you were putting together a trivial pursuit team, he's like the, the fat kid at basketball. Pick up the last one picked, the last one called on, and everybody who has him on their team kind of goes, ah, crap. That was Joe Biden. To put a fine point on this Lloyd Austin thing, and whether or not you know, he respects the president, Politico story, the Lloyd Austin fallout is growing, Cohen. Quote, someone's head has to roll, end quote. Huh. And then the subheadline is the defense chief is facing criticism for keeping his bosses in the dark about his hospitalization. Okay. Criticism. He's facing criticism. Why isn't he fired? If someone's head has to roll, shouldn't it be the head? Wouldn't you think some low-level kid in the mailroom was like, oh, I've got this letter here to the president saying, by the way, I'm going to be in the hospital for the next week. Ah, to hell with it. I'm going to chuck that out. Now, you think it was that? The story gets interesting. It says, at a White House meeting last week, Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, noticed that Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin was absent. A top Pentagon official, Sasha Baker, was there in his place. This is where you sit there and you go, what the hell's going on in this government? The next sentence. There was nothing obviously unsettling about this. Austin was scheduled to work from home, and lower-level aides often sit in for their boss. Often? And he's working from home? Is his house a skiff? Is it the, the Secretary of Defense? Kind of, you know, the Pentagon is a fairly secure place. It has really super secure places within it. And uh, what goes on there is kind of important, again, at a time when there are two wars that we are at least tangentially involved in. We're scheduled to work from home. Because who, who wouldn't want to work from home all the time? But you see, you take the job as Secretary of Defense not because you want to spend more time with the kids, or the grandkids in this case, but because you want to do the job. But what neither Sullivan nor Baker knew at that moment was that Austin was already hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center with complications from an undiagnosed surgical procedure. Maybe he's transitioning. Who knows? What's the weirdest thing here is that we still don't know why Lloyd Austin is in the hospital. There's, that's what we know. Complications from an undisclosed surgical procedure. So as of at least this moment, we don't know what the surgical procedure was. Maybe he was having a nose job. Maybe he was hoping to get some sort of facelift operation uh, trying to get to the Golden Globes 
last night, and it just went horribly, horribly wrong, and he's a dead Kennedy's album. He's a plastic surgery disaster. Probably something a little bit more serious than that, but we don't know. That should be an, a source of outrage just as much, maybe not just as much, but pretty damn close to nobody telling the president, nobody telling the White House. But again, we have such an incurious media that nobody's going, hey, wait a second. These people are not only lying to us sometimes, they're keeping a lot of stuff from us. Because again, once you open Pandora's box, you can't control where it goes. That's why the White House press briefings with the wildly historic Corinne Jean-Pierre, she's so historic, historically bad at her job, but the, the press conferences with her involve no real serious questions. President calls half the country Nazis and nobody goes, hey, you know, do you think that when you campaigned to bring the country together, that this was the way you managed to do it? That's what you envisioned to do it? Demonize half the country? They're all racist, they're all Nazis. And oh, by the way, that it was the National Socialist German Workers Party. Do you, does it, the position of the White House that the socialist part was just thrown in there as a lark? Because, you know, the ists, the isms are of the left. I can't make this point enough, by the way, as an aside. They always say, oh, these right-wing dictators, these right-wing dictators. Hitler was a man of the right. You see that? Oh, Stalin was... The political spectrum is a line. Think of it as a line. One side is for more government, more intrusive government, bigger government that does more for people. And the other side is for less government, more individual liberty. Now, one side is liberal, one side is conservative or progressive and Republican, however you want to look at it. To hear these leftists tell it, you go down the side that is for individual liberty and smaller government. You go down and the government shrinks the government. And somewhere out there, there's a giant cardiac event, a huge blip in the EKG where it goes through the roof. And suddenly, the side that is for limited government and individual responsibility and states having the powers vested in them in, them in the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, suddenly it's huge and it's an all-encompassing, all-powerful government where, you know, you get communism, fascism, socialism, whatever, and then it leaps back down and leads towards it. That's insane. Of course, if you go further, far enough out on the right, you're dealing with libertarianism, you're dealing with anarchy, really, which is just the absence of government. It's the other side where it is ever-growing, ever-increasing, powerful government. There isn't a dime's worth of difference in the grand scheme of things between socialists, communists, and fascists, and there wasn't at the turn of the century in the progressive era. The only reason they fought amongst each other was that it was over which one was going to be the standard bearer on the left. They wanted to be the ones in control. They purged themselves. Stalin killed most of his inner circle several times over. Hitler went through most purges. Look up what the fate of the brown shirts were. They helped instill Hitler in power and then enforce that, and then they became less useful, and they were purged. Not because they had ideological differences, just because they were no longer useful. But the battle between fascists, communists, and socialists was sort of along those ways. They all wanted roughly the same things, minimal differences, but they wanted to be the ones in control. They wanted the power. So to sit there and listen to these people, and these fascists and Joe Biden is walking right up to the line calling Hitler, calling Trump Hitler. But he didn't he didn't quite get there. He implied it. He'll get there. But if you go back and it's not often I recommend Jonah Goldberg, 
to anybody, but if you go read um, Liberal Fascism, you will find clips in that book from newspaper articles in the 1930s of Democrats, progressive Democrats in the 1930s here in the United States, prominent leftists praising Mussolini and Hitler and what they are able to do in their system of government, lamenting that we did not have a fascistic government because that damn constitution that limited their ability to impose their will on everybody else. Now that faded away and has been whitewashed after 1939. They quickly backtracked and pretended that they didn't say those things. And then, of course, the people writing history were all in agreement with the people who were denying history, so they wiped it out as best they could. Thank God actual hard copies of these newspaper articles existed at the time. But that's just as an aside, as the president goes around and accuses everybody of being a Nazi. It was their team. Anyway, back to the uh, Lloyd Austin story. It says, days later, Politico continues, Austin's secret hospitalization has spiraled into a drama engulfing the upper echelons of the Biden administration. Senior White House officials are struggling to answer questions about who knew what and when about the former general's medical emergency. Criticism is pouring in from Congress and the media. And since the Pentagon went public with the situation Friday night, new reports are coming in, including Politico's disclosure on Saturday evening that the Pentagon had not informed President Joe Biden or the National Security Council for days that Austin was indisposed. Now, why haven't heads rolled? Well, because there are no heads to roll. There's no accountability in the Biden administration. If there were accountability in the Biden administration, whoever was responsible for the ridiculous, horrible, horrifying withdrawal from Afghanistan that cost 13 Americans their lives, they would have been fired. They were not fired. Nobody was disciplined. Nobody was, nobody was even disciplined. Nobody put a, a reprimand in their, their personnel folder. Nobody was held accountable for it. Why? That cost 13 soldiers their lives. The Secretary of Defense being in the hospital for a week and nobody knowing about it, that's nothing. That's who cares, whatever. Now this, how, do I, how can I say that? Well, because the next sentence in the political story. White House and Pentagon aides insist that Austin's job is not in jeopardy. At least not yet. Well, what do you have to do to have your job be in jeopardy? Unless he was in a coma, and if he was, then we've got a whole nother level of problem with this. He should have instructed his aides, if he told them, to instruct the White House that somebody might want to, I don't know, be looked at as the acting Secretary of Defense. Because we kind of need a Secretary of Defense. But they are sticking to the line, they continue, despite seeming to lack full information about what's actually been going on at the Pentagon, the precise nature of Austin's surgery, medical complications, and even his current condition remain unclear or addressed only in vague terms. Why? If there, remember in the Trump administration, there was a stretch. I can't remember how long it was, but I think it was during COVID. Maybe it was a little before COVID, but Melania Trump hadn't been seen for a little while. She hadn't been, I don't know, they trotted out like a prop, like Jill is happy to do, the Reverend Dr. Jill Biden, sorry. 
But they hadn't been seen for a while. And the human potato over at CNN, Brian Stelter, started a little countdown. It's been 28 days since we've seen Melania Trump. Is she all right? There's an undisclosed medical issue, or is there something going on? Do we need to know where is the first lady? As if somehow Donald Trump was secretly Jeffrey Dahmer, and he'd murdered her and was slowly eating her in the White House commissary. And suddenly she was seen, and it was a big story. There she is. There, I mean, opinion pieces were written. Where is the first lady? Well, maybe she's just living her life. She's allowed to do that. They're allowed to do that. But there was concern. There was outrage. There were demands for answers where she is and what she's doing from the White House. Now, last I checked, no first lady has ever been voted for to be first lady. Some of the marriages and the president's of the past, it maybe seemed utilitarian in that sense that maybe you could make that argument. But in general, what the first lady does, she's a private citizen. She can do what she wants. The Secretary of Defense isn't. The Secretary of Defense is not. He has some important duties. If the first lady were to decide to go to Europe and not announce it to the press, the world, the government would go on. Nobody goes, well, I don't know what, what there's a China's making a move on Taiwan. Get the first lady on the phone. Those are sentences that will never be spoken in all of human history. But you will get the get me the secretary of defense on any number of things. And yet his job is safe. Don't worry about it. If anything, they're going to find a sacrificial. Now, I don't know. The outrage may grow to the point that uh, Austin will have to go. Austin will have to do something. But I wouldn't count on it because the idea of making Lloyd Austin the uh, scapegoat, the one responsible, the one person in this whole administration, high level. I mean, remember, Secretary Mayor Pete was on uh, paternity leave for three months. The, the supply chain collapsed. Parents couldn't find baby formula. I still remember, there's still signs, I think, in my local Safeway that say, you know, due to the supply chain, you limit the number of packages of baby formula you can get. You couldn't find baby formula, particularly if you had an infant with digestive issues or medical conditions that required specialized baby formula. You couldn't find it. And the guy who oversees the supply chain in the United States was off the job for three months, and nobody knew about it until about a week into there being no baby formula that he, he put a suit back on and said, okay, fine, here. There you go. And then somebody decided to go, hey, where have you been? And they discovered that he had been on paternity leave. I mean, you want to talk about the very definition of non-essential personnel. If you can take three months off and nobody notices it until the feces actually splatters all over the fan you probably qualify as non-essential personnel. But again, there was no ramifications. There were no repercussions. Secretary Mayor Pete wasn't fired. He literally was gone for three months. And people were harmed in his absence. I wouldn't say by his absence because... I'm not really sure he's competent enough to have avoided the problem in the first place. He certainly wasn't competent enough to solve the problem after it was noted by the public. But there was no accountability. He is a member in good standing because he's, there is no accountability on the left. So do you really think they're going to go after 
Lloyd Austin. This is a White House that is very interested in equity, which means how many boxes do you check on the progressive tree of life? How many branches do you hit falling down that tree of life? Lloyd Austin happens to be a black man, so he hits one box. Secretary Mayor Pete happens to be a gay man, so he hits one box. You Now in the hierarchy, which branch was higher? Which branch is more important to Joe Biden's reelection prospects? Well, there are a lot more black people than gay people in the country. And the Democrats are getting ready to pander, pander to all of them. But again, in the hierarchy of things, they're going to pander to some more than others. The progressives, they do have that, uh, that progressive, I don't know, wish tree of victimhood and how many boxes you check on the way down. And uh, they are planning on fully pandering. Now, they're panicking because black and Hispanic voters are starting to think for themselves. They're starting to think, maybe, maybe the Democrats are, after 50, 60 years, if you've ever been to, I lived in Baltimore for 13 years. I lived right in downtown Baltimore. There was a murder across the street. About every 10th time I went to the 7-Eleven to buy smokes back in the day when I smoked, there was somebody looking for, and I don't know why, I'd, I never looked like a heroin dealer. <clears throat> I kind of, at different times, maybe looked like a heroin user. But I never was. But I didn't look like a dealer. You know, I never had any money. So, But I'd go to buy cigarettes, and there's always somebody in there asking me where they can get heroin from. And I'm like, I don't, not from me. But I knew that I lived at Calvert. I lived at actually Chase in St. Paul. A block over was Calvert. That was where the 7-Eleven was. And if you went... Uh, maybe two, three more streets the other side of the freeway there. If that was your bag, man, you you were doing all right. You would find it. And I felt bad because I, I sent a couple of people and like, you want heroin? It's over there. And if I were a good person, maybe I would have said, here, uh, you go up to this church and ask for the priest, and presuming the priest wasn't a heroin dealer. Eh, only about a 20% chance of that in the city of Baltimore. Uh, you get them over there and maybe they'll talk to somebody who can talk them out of heroin. But that's beside the point. Anyway, back to the pander game. They're very concerned that after generations of failing policies, rising crime, horrible economy and an education system that spends more time, you can't count. But the kids can name you probably at least 50 genders. Right. And they're very good with pronouns. They're very, very good with a whole bunch of things that normal people look at and go, you shouldn't be good at that. This isn't a good thing, or this is detrimental. This is problematic. These are these are not skills that are helpful. In fact, since last night was the Golden Globes, I saw this story in The Guardian the other day. The headline, Jody Foster says Generation Z can be, quote, really annoying to work with. And I thought I had to. I got to know what that is. And so I did. She says, uh, Jody Foster says she sometimes finds Gen Generation Z, quote, really annoying, but she hopes she can help budding stars find their own path to help them, quote, learn how to relax. What? In an interview with The Guardian, the actor admitted she found the attitudes to work she had encountered difficult to understand. Quote, they're really annoying, especially in the workplace, Foster said. 
they're like, nah, I'm not feeling it today. I'm not going to come in at 10.30 a.m. Or in emails, I'll tell them this is all grammatically incorrect. Did you not check your spelling? And they're like, why would I do that? Isn't that kind of limiting? <laughs> if you've ever dealt with it, yeah, there's a lot of it. Not all of them, thank God. Sadly, they got the numbers. And that's what's most terrifying. But uh, it's nice to see Joe. I, I do love it when a leftist gets a big dose of their own medicine. But anyway, back to the issue at hand. This story from the USA Today reflects the democratic mindset of entitlement. They look at you, and if you are of a certain skin tone, if you have a different melanin level, if your camouflage in a snowstorm is not nudity, they feel entitled to your vote at a rate of about 90%, and they're not getting it. Hispanic vote, actually, in most polls, Republicans are uh, winning the Hispanic vote. And the black vote is getting upwards of 20% for Republicans, which usually gets about 9%. That would be a death knell. Now, you sit there and you go, well, wait a second. The polls have it kind of a close race with Biden just losing by a little bit. It's mostly because of suburban white women are switching to Democrats. They're going full bore into, with Democrats. But... USA Today headline, this is from, it took three reporters for this, Susan Page, Savannah Kushar, Kushar, and then somebody's name who I can't even begin to pronounce, so I'm not going to. This is the Frame Coalition, colon, black, Hispanic, young voters abandon Biden as election year begins. And it's the use of the word, I've talked about this in the past, the, the word abandon is the big indication here. The word abandon is important because it implies a sense of entitlement. You don't abandon something. You lose it, but you, the abandon means it's yours. It's supposed to be yours. So I want to play you a clip here from James Clyburn. The congressman from South Carolina. People forget back in 2020. Joe Biden was dead in the water. He'd lost Iowa. He wasn't even on the radar in North Carolina. I think in, uh, in New Hampshire. I think he came in fifth in the New Hampshire primary. Then suddenly the establishment got worried. They went to James Clyburn and said, you've got to come in. You've got to endorse Joe Biden. And he did. And the black vote showed up in South Carolina for Joe Biden. After that, everybody dropped out. It was weird because Joe Biden didn't come anywhere close to sniffing victory in the first two. Well, now he's back. He was on with Jake Tapper over the weekend and talking about the black vote and the polling data showing that the black vote isn't there. And he says he's not worried about it, but he is concerned because he has, again, this sense of entitlement. Democrats feel entitled to the black vote. And this is, uh, well, listen to it for yourself. How worried are you about black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. And I have sat down with President Biden. I don't know. I saw those reports. I've also seen at least one report indicating that I have sat down uh, with President Biden. And I did uh, with him. Uh, and I've uh, told him what my concerns are. I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall uh, 
in order to get to people exactly what this president has done. Now I love that. We have not been able to get through this MAGA wall to tell people exactly what has been done. What do you mean? What are you talking about? You really think there's some sort of giant wall in, I assume, the media that is sitting there preventing you from getting the Democratic message out to black voters? Are black voters a significant portion of Fox News and Newsmax viewers? I don't think so. Even if they are on its best hour, Fox News is getting three million people. That's 1%, actually now less than 1% of the population. So where in the hell is this big mystery? Where I can't, trying to break through this, this MAGA wall. There's a MAGA wall preventing Democrats from reaching black voters in the country? Where is this MAGA wall? And I thought walls didn't work, by the way, just as an aside. I have been assured time and again by Democrats that walls don't work. But apparently walls on the southern border don't work, but MAGA walls do. It's so ridiculous as to be laughable. But that's the world that we live in, where you've got James Clyburn sitting there going, can't get through this MAGA wall. <laughs> like, what are you talking talking about. Jake Tapper, of course, let it go. Jake Tapper should have, first of all, burst into laughter when he said it. And then after that, gone on and said, there's nothing preventing you from getting out information. You're here on CNN. There's no MAGA person on CNN. You're here on CNN. But this is the story that they're trying to, again, go back to. They're trying to convince you you don't know how good you've got it. You mistakenly think you've got it bad. And somehow there is this giant, and every once in a while you see this from a leftist on social media. They go, really, the biggest problem is the New York Times is a right-wing outfit. Like, really? Really? Okay, I wish the New York Times were a right-wing outfit. Hell, I just wish the New York Times were an honest outfit. We start from there. Then James Clyburn went on to say something else interesting in an interview. And Jake Tapper did take a little bit, because Joe Biden is going down to South Carolina either today or tomorrow. I can't keep track of him, and I don't know when they're going to give him the, the shot to wake him up, to make him semi-coherent long enough to deliver a speech, or read a speech from a teleprompter. And he's going down to the Emanuel AME Church where the Dylan Roof Dylan Roof shot and killed the black churchgoers in a fit of, of racial rage, a horrible situation. And the sooner Dylan Roof is dead, the better off the world will be. It's not right that uh, I will point out that it's the Democrats who want, are opposed to the death penalty. I say uh, string him up. But uh, that happened in 2015. That happened shortly after Donald Trump announced his candidacy for president. The campaign hadn't really gotten into full effect. There wasn't a whole lot of coverage back. You remember June 15th, 2015 was when Donald Trump came down the escalator in Trump Tower. And yet Joe Biden is going there to deliver a speech to blame Donald Trump for something that happened on Barack Obama's watch. Happened while Joe Biden was vice president of the United States. And Jake Tapper is pointing out the, uh, the problem with this, because if Democrats have a a time machine, I want to use it. 
uh, just for lottery numbers purposes. Use, give me one shot at the time machine, one use, and I'm good. I, I'll leave everybody else alone. Give myself a billion-dollar lottery ticket, and Democrats can silence me forever. And his answer, Clyburn's answer is, boy, it is it's something to behold. Donald Trump was massive, was responsible for something even though there's no way humanly possible. He was responsible for it. Is it fair to tie in any way what happened at the Emanuel AME Church to Donald Trump? Donald Trump had barely launched his campaign when that attack happened. Well, thank you very much for having me, Jake. I think it is very clear uh, that Donald Trump's utterances uh, way back before Charlottesville, or at the time of Charlottesville, ties him uh, to uh, what happened uh, at Mother Emanuel. The fact of the matter is that young man went into that church's basement, joined with those worshipers in Bible study, and murdered them. And he said at the time that he was attempting to create a race war. Yeah. By the way, the shooting at the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, happened on June 17th, 2015. Donald Trump announced his candidacy on June 15th, 2023. Boy, that's some power. I do love how these people like to ascribe abilities to other people. It's like watching movies. You watch a movie about the CIA and you think, well, why don't we... And then you think about real-world implications of it and they go... If, if Vladimir Putin's such a bad guy, why don't we, you know, I don't know, poison his coffee or something. We can take him out and nobody will ever know. We'll send in Jason Bourne. We've got to have like 15 Jason Bournes or James Bonds. We'll send them in. We'll take care of the problem. And you realize, no, the, uh, the CIA is a hell of a lot closer to the bumbling, fumbling plumbers from the White House than they are anything close to the movies. We don't have that sort of capability. But somehow, Donald Trump has the power to impact somebody who was otherwise leading a normal life and then two days after he announced he was running for president decide to go and commit a massacre of course james Clyburn knows better jake tapper knows better but james Clyburn is the one lying to you jake tapper's letting it go but james Clyburn is not confused he's not misinformed he's hoping you don't know better he's hoping you don't pick up on that he's hoping the public doesn't pick up on this. It's all these people. It is, it is amazing. Vladimir Putin. They, all these Democrats, by the way, who insist that election denialism is a threat to democracy and then deny the, 20, or the 2000 election. Bush stole Florida from Gore. The 2004 election, they really honestly believe that Bush stole Ohio from John Kerry. And they believe that Donald Trump stole the election in 2016 from Hillary with the help of Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is responsible for rigging the election, killing people all across the country, doing all sorts of horrible things. And Donald Trump is, too, they say. And yet they're out there criticizing him. The free press, the free, Donald Trump is a threat to the free press. Who's been thrown in jail in the press? Who's been thrown in jail? 
It was James Rosen's email that was uh, spied on by the FBI during the Obama administration. James Risen of the New York Times was actually imprisoned for months on end because he refused to give up a source of information, uh, an anonymous source, to the Biden or the Obama administration. The Trump administration didn't put any journalists in prison. But the previous administration did, and people from the previous administration were accusing the Trump administration of being worse than Hitler. Democrats always, always accuse their opponents of what they're actually doing themselves. Now, I want to play you something that is, uh, it's, it's along these lines, and it is a bizarre thing. There's self-flagellation going on amongst uh, the TikTok generation. God, if you ever had a TikTok account, should be a barrier to entry for voting, right? Like you go to register to vote, and they're like, "Are you a citizen?" Yes. Yeah, do you have you ever had a TikTok account? Yes. Well, I'm sorry, that's disqualifying. I'd I'd much rather reenfranchise convicted felons than franchise people with TikTok accounts. But that's just me. There's this trend of people going on their TikToks and and explaining to the world, white kids, I should say, that they're wildly racist because of their skin color. Not because of anything they've done, but because of their skin color. Yeah, I'm racist because I'm a white person. I think all white people are racist. We have just been put into this system designed to empower our white privilege. As a white person, I am super racist. As a white person, I am super racist. We've just been put into this. Now, they're actually right. If you're out there putting out these videos where you're saying, I'm a I'm a racist. It's like an old Dr. Pepper. I'm a racist. She's a racist. Wouldn't you like to be a racist too? But they're actually right. If you believe that minorities can't succeed, can't advance, can't do this, can't do that because of their skin color, but you are somehow better or advantaged, not because, you don't know, you, you studied harder or anything, but your advantage, your your in a better position simply because of your skin color than somebody else. Implicit in that is that somebody couldn't do, somebody because of their skin color couldn't do something, right? That's racist. That's actually the very definition of racist. That's a, judging people by their skin. You, you, there's no way you could do that. Let me pat you on the head. You couldn't possibly succeed without this. It's a typical thing from the leftists, but I just want to show you that, play you that because it shows you how ingrained this victimhood mentality is now look the there's the old adage from winston churchill that any man who's not a liberal at age 18 or whatever i'm bastardizing it but anyone who isn't a liberal at age 18 has no heart anybody who isn't a conservative by age 40 has no brain and there was always that that contingent of people who were radical leftist bigots martyr complex, white savior complex, whatever you want to call it. But it seems like there's more of them now. It seems like there's a hell of a lot more of them now. And they're more vocal about it. Again, I don't know that there are more of them. There is this uh, question, you know, well, social media made everything worse. Did social media make everything? Did social media make things worse or did social media just expose how bad things were. Give everybody a chance. Were there a bunch of morons out there and then everybody got a microphone 
And so what you normally wouldn't hear because it was just somebody yelling at a house plant is suddenly now um, amplified. I don't know. But uh, it seems, it feels like more. Actually, speaking of houseplants, let me find this story because it is uh, one for the books. God, what is wrong? The Washington Post the other day had a story. Of course, the headline is, Indoor houseplants come with a cost to the planet. Here's how to minimize it. Houseplants are causing global warming now? says there are plenty of benefits to raising indoor houseplants. They beautify your, your home or office. They have been uh, correlated with lower levels of stress and anxiety and may slightly improve air quality. But, ironically, greening indoor spaces can also come with an environmental cost. You're like, what the hell are you talking about? And it, it is the dumbest way to do it. This is Some editor should have probably smacked the guy who wrote this before he did, somebody named Nicholas Rivero, but... They're all on board with this stupidity. said, the trucks that transport plants spew carbon emissions. Plastic pots and synthetic fertilizers are made from petroleum. And the harvesting of soil components like peat can tear up slow-forming habitats. <laughs> wait, wait a second. So uh, anything that... Tra- Anything then, therefore, is, of course, a threat to humanity. Anything transported on a truck. But of all the things transported on a truck, plants, that's what you're really worried about? Plants are transported on a truck? Plastic pots? Do people take their plastic pot plants home? Not pot plants, but you get the idea. They're plants in plastic pots. There's Say that three times fast. And then immediately throw the plastic pots into the water supply along with the synthetic fertilizer. Synthetic fertilizer made from petroleum. Yeah, and they increase the yield of crops and uh, stop people from starving to death. It's been a while since we've had a good famine, but that doesn't matter to these leftists. It's problematic. You're problematic. And that's really ultimately their problem with everything is that you, it's not only that you exist wrong, if you really bore down into it, these environmental nut jobs, their uh, problem is that you exist at all. I want to shift gears. It's enough talking about the uh, the Democrats. For a second. I want to play something with, from Nikki Haley. This is, uh, she's just had not a very good week. It's just not been a very good week to be Nikki Haley. She gets a tap and putt answer and she calls for the driver. Tap and putt. You got a three inch putt for the green jacket. And she goes, give me the driver. Not only does she pull out the driver, she turns around and faces the gallery. It just drills it in there. I uh, mentioned everything about the Civil War, except slavery. And then come back with the snippet. I don't know what you want me to say about slavery. Then her pull-up from that nosedive was, uh, everybody from South Carolina knows. We're just inundated with talk of slavery. So everybody knows that. And I have black friends anyway. Which, again, actually, because the left went, oh, the typical, typical answer. I have black friends. That's exactly what a racist would say. Just really quickly, that's exactly what a racist would not say, because a racist wouldn't have black. If, if you don't like black people, you're not going to have black friends. If you don't like white people, you're not going to have white. I don't think that the Nation of Islam's annual retreat is going to be held at the B'nai B'rith Temple or whatever. I don't know. I'm butchering Hebrew, but you get the point. That aside, you all you got to do is not screw up. All you got to do is not... 
the media is throwing itself at Nikki Haley. And she is not handling it very well. Now, you really have to ask yourself, was she always this bad and nobody was paying attention to it? Or is she cracking under the pressure? I don't know what the answer is. But she was sitting down with um, MSNBC. It was Dasha Burns, the same lady who went at Vivek Ramaswamy about white supremacy. And there's nothing quite like an uptight white liberal lady trying to lecture an Indian guy or non-white guy about the dangers of white supremacy. And nobody knows it like like a a left-wing white lady. That's why Democrats are doing so well, is though they attract people like this. But anyway, Nikki Haley, in another attempt to fit, I don't know, at this point, she's almost an octopus with all the feet that she's sticking in her own mouth. In an attempt to, I don't know, alienate more people. She was asked about Hunter Biden. Now, apparently, Nikki Haley doesn't follow the news. She's not a particularly good look for any candidate for anything. Because she said she can't rule out, she's not going to rule out pardoning Hunter Biden. But she's got to see what the charges are. He's already been charged. He's been indicted twice. But that's beside the point. Here's good old Nikki Haley. What about Hunter Biden, a president's kid? If he were convicted, would you pardon him? I mean, I'm not even going to think about that. I don't even know what they've found him guilty on yet. I know that they've, you know, what we've seen in the Department of Justice system, if anything, is they're not treating everybody fairly. You look at how the Bidens and the Clintons have been treated. It's very different than how the Trumps have been treated. Everybody should be treated the same. If you do a crime, you should pay the price, period. You should have transparency. Everybody should see what's happening. We should make sure that taxpayers know that everything is above board. That's what this is. Doesn't matter what party, it doesn't matter what person, but treat everybody exactly the same. That's where we should go. I'm not going to get into whether we pardon Hunter Biden or not. Let's wait and see what the charges are. But at, at this point, you have to go and look at every case individually. And I don't think it's responsible just to throw out whether you would do something like that on someone's son when we don't know all the details and, of that issue. And I- we, we, um, what? We don't know what the charges are. Well, we actually kind of do know what the charges are. There are tax charges, there's gun charges. Those, those charges have been, been filed. Governor or ambassador or whatever title she's going by. We, we know this. It was kind of a big deal at the time, right? It's kind of, he's going to be held in contempt of Congress, probably, because he refused to come up and testify in a closed session to give a deposition. I don't know. Look, I get it. You run for president of the United States. You uh, you are preoccupied with that. But at some point, a campaign that is bragging about having raised twenty five million dollars in the last quarter should employ somebody to keep you up on current events. Right. The next question, how would you handle the Israeli Hamas situation? Well, I think things have been going well there since we moved the uh, embassy to Jerusalem, and I just hope that things continue to go down that path. I haven't really had a chance to pick up a newspaper in a while, so I'm not really sure that things have gone as well as they could have. I'm not sure what's going on over there, but, you know, no news is good news. No, that's it's not really acceptable. Now, granted, the Middle East situation is the extreme relative to Hunter Biden. It's a little bit more excusable. 
that she might not be fully aware of the intricacies of the charges against Hunter Biden. But it is kind of unforgivable that she isn't aware of, that there are charges against Hunter Biden. It's bizarre. Now, I don't know that the answer is, but the question I asked at the beginning of this is, I think, completely valid. Was she always as bad as she has been the last two weeks and nobody noticed because nobody was paying attention to it? Or is she one of those people that once you turn the spotlight on them kind of freeze and just start screwing up? I don't know what the answer is. We've got a week to figure it out. It's It'll be interesting to see. She's got a She's doing a town hall on Fox tonight, then it's Ron DeSantis, then it's Donald Trump, and then on Wednesday is the last debate. And I believe the only people on, it's going to be on CNN, the only people on the debate stage are going to be DeSantis and Haley. Trump won't show up because he, I, I don't think he can handle a debate, which is kind of interesting because there is a, uh, and I know, I, I get, email. You're too harsh on Donald Trump. You're too uh, tough. All right, let's just get over it. It's my job to tell you what I think. But the headline from The Hill, I warned that this would happen. And I'd like to say that this makes me some sort of fortune teller, soothsayer or whatever, but my unabated losing lottery streak sort of negates that. But the headline at The Hill, Democrats question whether Biden should agree to debate Trump. By Donald Trump refusing to show up to debate in any way, shape, or form any of his opponents, it, it's, not, it's not the one thing that will make the difference in Joe Biden saying, no, I'm not going to debate him because he didn't debate his Republicans, but it'll be another brick in that wall. The story from The Hill. Democratic lawmakers are leery about the prospect of President Biden debating former President Trump, fearing that putting the two on stage together would only elevate the likely GOP nominee, and this is what I've been saying all along, would be the case. The Biden team can say, ah, he's too extreme. He's too this. He's too that. He's too insurrectiony or whatever. I will not dignify him by putting him on the debate stage with me, even though he's a, a former president of the United States. And the real reason that Biden won't go on the stage with him is because he's not can you remember the last time Joe Biden had 90 consecutive good minutes? He sits there and he, he might read his note cards, kind of sleepy, at a summit meeting or at a UN gathering. And then you keep the camera on him and the guy's falling asleep. And that only takes about a half an hour, 45 minutes. Double that. I don't know what kind of dose of medicine they'd have to give him, but uh, it'd be a lot. If you watch him when he delivers the State of the Union address, his eyes, the pupils of his eyes look like saucers. I'm not saying that it's Adderall. I'm just implying heavily that it's Adderall because it sure as hell looks like Adderall. But they continue in the Hill. Trump has skipped every Republican presidential primary debate thus far, but says he's eager to debate Biden. You know, you can't pick and choose your battles. You have to prove yourself. And Trump hasn't done that. He told a conservative radio host before Christmas that he would, quote, look forward to facing Biden and suggested 10 debates. There's no way in God's green earth they're going to get more than, well, they got two last time. One was canceled because Trump had COVID. Democratic lawmakers, however, are not relishing that scenario. Quote, I would think twice about it, said Democratic Whip 
Dick Durbin, the most appropriately named man in the United States Senate, about the prospect of Biden debating Trump. I've been physically present at one of Trump's debates with Hillary Clinton, and I watched him do outrageous things and say outrageous things. It's just an opportunity for him to display his extremism. And there is what they're going to argue. And if you notice what uh, Dick Durbin doesn't do there, and there's a reason I say he's the most appropriately named man in the United States Senate, is he does what, well, what MSNBC does, what most on the left do. They make the allegations, but they don't put any meat on the fork. He's an extremist. How? Just like you watch a Rachel Maddow monologue. Donald Trump is a criminal. He's the most corrupt president ever. How? What did he do? Well, everybody knows what he did. That's not an answer. That's not. A, you sit there and you tell me, uh, you say, well, you say that Joe Biden is corrupt. What proof do you have over that? Uh, well, I've got some interesting wire transfers. I've got some interesting checks written. His brother, he gave his brother an interest-free loan for $200,000 for reasons we don't know. And his brother just happened to repay him the day that he got $200,000 from a Chinese company? That's a pretty big coincidence at a minimum. But there's a real easy way for Joe Biden to prove that I'm wrong and that everybody who thinks that way is wrong. Show $200,000 going from Joe to Frank Biden. Right? If it's repayment for a loan, there has to be a loan given. Just show me the loan given and suddenly <coughs> you've won. But they won't. They say they won't dignify the charges with any refuting of the allegations, which kind of, you, you try that in any criminal case. Where we think you murdered this person on Tuesday night. Nope. Well, where were you on Tuesday night? I wasn't there, but I'm not going to, well, where were you? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to dignify your ridiculous charge of my murdering that person uh, with, a, with a response. Well, why wouldn't you? You could, you could easily refute that. You get, get out of this. Joe Biden could easily make Republicans look like fools if he says, here's $200,000, me giving $200,000 to my brother. Same with the $50,000 Hunter Biden gave Joe, the day he got 500, his company got $500,000 from China. That 10% hold 10% for the big guy? That just happens to be 10%? Said, so, no, 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 no. Joe loaned Hunter $50,000 to buy a, a nice pickup truck. Well, he already owned two cars at the time, one of which was bought by some foreign guy who'd given him the $147,000 to buy a $147,000 car. Why did he need a pickup truck? Does Hunter Biden really strike you as a guy heading out to a work site? Job crew? No. Maybe he was mewling a bunch of coke around the country. That'd be believable. Why need a pickup truck? But again, your son is in the throes of crack addiction, smoking crack constantly. His life is in shambles and you don't you're not a super high-functioning crack-smoking guy the way Hunter was a crack-smoking guy. It's known. You're going to give your son $50,000 on a pinky swear that he's going to buy a truck? Okay, maybe. All you have to do is show me $50,000 going from Joe to Hunter. And then you've torpedoed the whole thing. Yet there's no doing that. They won't do that. They won't dignify that with an answer. It's rather curious, don't you think?
Well, because if they can't show it, if they can't show this loan, this was a loan repayment, then what happens? Then it is income to Joe. And then what happens? Suddenly, Joe Biden has not declared and therefore not paid taxes on at least $250,000 worth of income, which makes the guy running around the country saying the rich need to pay their fair share, uh, blah, 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 is suddenly got tax issues, which actually turns out most of his family has those sort of tax issues. And again, if you're going to give your crack smoking son $50,000 to buy a truck, why wouldn't you give your daughter, what is it that, that Ashley Biden owes, like $10,000 she's got, she owes in back taxes? Why wouldn't you give your daughter that kind of money? If you're doling out presumably interest-free loans to family members, you might want to start with the one that'll stop with the daily compounded interest penalties and possibly political embarrassment and even ultimately down the road a prison term. You might want to start there. That he never gave her any money. Weird, isn't it? I'm just asking questions. You know, I'm looking at the, uh, the interweb here in Twitter and the New York Post feed. I love this sort of stuff. This is from the morning. This is from around know, 10 o'clock this morning. Pro-Palestinian protesters swarmed three bridges and the Holland Tunnel in lower Manhattan, blocking off traffic and creating chaos late Monday morning. And there's a video, there's a bunch of video of these playing Red Rover with trucks. The trucks always stop. That's my only problem. You watch some of these videos out of Germany with the environmental Just Stop Oil people where they're gluing themselves to the streets and laying down in front of it. And these little German guys get out of their trucks. And they're not messing around. They're not interested in what Hans is worried about in the future and the stupidity of this guy who's wearing stuff that's all made out of petroleum products. They just grab them by the neck, the head, the the vest and kick them and get them off the street. And like, that's, that's nice. Next thing is they're just going to put snow plows on the trucks. Snow, the, you know, like the trains, they got the cow scoop, put a, a, a moron scoop on the front of the delivery trucks in Germany and let's get these people out of there. But the real question is where do these people find the time? What do these people do for a living that on a work day during work hours, they're able to swarm around lower Manhattan. And the answer is they're doing what they do for a living. This is what they do for a living. There is a professional class of people who run around and they're well-funded, they're well-financed, they're well-lawyered. And this is all they do. Now, in this case, you can get a slightly larger than normal crowd because you know the professional protester class is probably half this mob. And then there are just some people who really hate the Jews and they'll show up. They got nothing better to do. They go, you know what, I'm going to call in sick to work or I'm going to skip school or whatever because Jews and they'll go down with the professional rabble rousing class and the trust fund babies. And that's mostly what BLM Antifa is. And BLM Antifa should always be said together. They're like the AFL-CIO. They used to be separate entities, but they joined forces because it was more profitable. And so they are now one entity with a nice little dash in between the two of them. But I find it interesting that these people are running around lower Manhattan. Liberal on liberal annoyance, which I uh, fully support. 
I love it when chickens come home to roost. I love it when people get a big dose of their own medicine. It's just, uh, it's well-deserved. It's enjoyable. It pleases me, if you will. Uh, well, since we're talking about New York, I want to play this clip of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Oh, my God. I love. If she didn't exist, I'd have to invent her. But no, I just have to go to the next moron down the line and put a microphone in her face and do that. She was on The Daily Show last week talking about the border situation. If she doesn't care about the border situation, she's a typical open borders leftist. She's also one of those people who's complaining about all the migrants. They're not migrants. Migrants migrate. Migrants come in where the weather goes. They go where the work is and they follow it. And when the work, they come in to plant the crops and then they leave. They go someplace else for the work and then they come back to harvest the crops. That is what a migrant is. If you think the 10 million illegals who we know of who've entered the country are all here to pick crops, I got some oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. These are illegal aliens. They're not going anywhere. They have no intention whatsoever of ever leaving this country. And with court dates as far away as 2032, there really is no expectation of that. We need, we need a proactive government to deal with this situation, and we just don't have it. And it's in part because Joe Biden is trying to placate and appeal to the people who look at AOC and think, yes, she would be a good trivia team captain. She would, she's so smart. She's so smart. <laughs> she, has, she just let the cat out of the bag. They want to legalize all of the millions upon millions of illegal aliens in this country. But don't take my word for it. Listen to her for yourself. From all parts of the political spectrum, one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall, or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll have folks that might say, look at these systems, you know, that our shelter system has weight and things like that. But one of the reasons that our public systems experience weight is because people don't have a documented and reliable path to work and sustain themselves, mm -hmm. just like all of our ancestors did and our, and our grandparents and great-grandparents. What she doesn't know, you could just about cram into the Grand Canyon. You might be able to fit it all in there. You could, I mean, you'd have to really tamp it down. You'd probably need one of those compressors, but you could get it in there. You could get it in there. Yeah, um, this idea that we're a nation of immigrants. We're na they always say that. We're a nation of immigrants. Yeah, okay, you're a house of people who live in the house, but the people who live in the house climb in the door. They walk through the door. We're dealing with people climbing in the window here, okay? There is a door. It might be an inconvenient door, and it's certainly a door not wide enough to accommodate everybody who would very much like to live in this house. But the one question before anything else we should ask of anybody who wants to live in this country is, what do we get out of it? It's not horrible and racist and mean and nasty to ask that question. We should ask, what do we get out of it? If you do not speak English, we're not going to get much out of it. If you don't speak English and you're illiterate in your own language, we are going to get absolutely nothing out of it. 
We're going to take your children and put them in the public school system, which is going to slow down the progress of American children in this country. Why? Because they have to take the time to explain in whatever language it is that somebody's kid speaks what's going on there and try to teach them English so that they may eventually only be five to six grades behind the rest of their peers. It's how you end up in a situation where you have a 21-year-old high school junior having sex in the bathroom with a 15-year-old sophomore. You see those stories like, oh, well, they're all in the same class. They're all in the same grade. You're not allowed to judge anybody. You're not allowed to look at any other culture and go, eh, culture's kind of messed up. You can't do any of that stuff. You just kind of have to grin and bear it under the Democrats' plan. Give them a pathway to citizenship. Well, why? Do we give, do we give bank robbers a pathway to CPA, the CPA job? No, we don't. What we should do is we should take the bank robber and give him a pathway to financial advisor. Why? No. They broke the law. There is a way to come to this country legally. You want to talk about reforming that? I'm not interested. I was interested at one point, but you stopped caring about that and started caring and started screwing over the people who are doing it legally to the advantage of people who are doing it illegally, at which point I lost all interest in whatever argument you're trying to make. We need massive deportation in this country. We need to punish businesses that knowingly hire illegal aliens to the point that businesses are afraid to do it. They're afraid to do it. A $50,000 fine per instance would do it. You'd say, well, some big corporations could still handle it. Well, okay. Then based on the bottom line, the size of the company, $50,000 per pay period. How about that? That would get people's attention. It would. Instead of letting everybody come here in the world's worst game of Red Rover and then pinky swear that at some point in the next decade, they promise to show up for a court date to determine whether or not they qualify for asylum. We all know they don't qualify for asylum. They're coming here for a better life. Don't necessarily blame them, but that is expressly against the law of asylum laws. You have to have a reasonable fear for your life. And, by the way, that reasonable fear for your life has to be abated by seeking asylum in the first country where your life is no longer in threat, in danger, that you come to. Now, how many countries do you have to go through to get to our southern border from Nigeria? How many countries must you go through to get to our southern border from China? How many countries from anywhere but Mexico must you go through to get to our southern border? If the answer is more than zero, <laughs> you can't claim asylum in this country legally. But because we have and I say this as a Catholic, as we have so many Catholic organizations and left-wing organizations, and sadly there's a very little difference between Catholic organizations and left-wing organizations these days, who are spending millions, not to mention all the non-governmental organizations, the NGOs, spending fortunes to help these illegal, illegal aliens win at this game of Red Rover. They teach them. They spend money advertising them to get here. 
empowering the drug cartels, I don't know how Christian that is, to make a fortune and drill into their heads the magic words you have. I fear for my life. I'm seeking asylum. I fear for my life. You don't have to prove it at the border. You just have to prove it in 10 years when you get to a court. At which point, they'll say, you can't prove it. You're nothing to be afraid of. You just wanted to come here for a better life. And then the Democrats will say, well, these people have been here so long. It would be cruel to get them out of here. It would be cruel to get them out of here. As Ronald Reagan famously said, nothing, uh, what is it, the definition of eternal life is a government pro, a temporary government program or something like that. You know, that the, when was the Haiti earthquake? Back in the 80s or 90s, something like that. The, it was weird. The Dominican Republic didn't face this. It's a small island. One half of it collapsed from an earthquake, and the other half said, what was that? Did you fart? And the people from Haiti got to come here under special dispensation because of, of earthquake relief. It's supposed to be temporary. And they're still here. And, by the way, they're still letting them in under that special dispensation because one political party wants them here. That's the only explanation there is. One political party wants them here. Now, Democrats do believe, and I know you're not supposed to say that it's the great replacement theory. Oh, my God, it's a horrible, horrible racist thing. To say. Now, I don't care where they come from. Democrats believe that the person who opens the door or opens the window for them and lets them in and says, here's, your, uh, here's how to get all sorts of government benefits that you've never contributed to and you'll never contribute enough to, to make up for, uh, that is a way of buying votes. It's buying votes by proxy. I would be one of the world's greatest philanthropists if I had access to Jeff Bezos' credit cards. Now, most people would. Be, I'd be very good at just buying things. I'd stimulate the hell out of the economy. You give me Elon Musk's wallet. That's what these people are doing, is they're being magnanimous in a way that impacts them, not at all, in a way they hope will impact them positively in the future, that they will win the loyalty of these people when they do give them amnesty, should they ever give them citizenship. But I'll be curious to see, I mean, I want to fight that and I'd hope it never come to pass, but I'd be curious to see if the people coming to this country, fleeing to this country for better economic situation would actually vote for the political party that is actively pursuing and looking to impose the very same political philosophy and many of the same policies that they felt the need to go on a 2,000-mile march to get away from. That will be curious to see. I don't know which way that's going to break, but I hope it's not in, a, uh, in their direction. It's possible. I don't know. If you fled socialism, would you vote for socialism? Not too many people from Eastern Europe who risked getting over the Berlin Wall said, you know what we really need? Trotskyism. I want to shift up and I want to play you this, uh, this clip of the Speaker of the House sitting down with Margaret Brennan on CBS. What is this? The CBS uh, Face the Nation. Face the Nation. Uh, nobody's watching it, so whatever. But uh, she, there's, there is, you can tell where Margaret Brennan got the uh, question from. It's amazing to me. The, the left sucking up to AOC is indicative of this, too. 
they really seem to believe that Twitter is real life. Anybody in politics who thinks that Twitter is real life is, well, they deserve to lose. They deserve whatever comes their way. It is not real life, and thank God it's not real life. Although it would be nice if the powers that be and the people in media stopped treating it like it was real life so much, because I think that you can get a bit of wish fulfillment and polluting of a already polluted culture that you move it toward being real life. And the day that social media does become fully what real life is, it's over. And I think everybody should move to Canada or something. But um, this, this narrative floats around on social media that Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House, is an election denier. He tried to overthrow the election results. He tried to do this, that, and the other thing. And realistically, what he did was he surf, uh, circulated a legal brief. He's a lawyer, so that he would do this is and it's kind of what he did before he became a member of Congress, pointing out the fact, and as a constitutionalist, that a lot of state laws were changed in a manner that is not in keeping with the Constitution. Now, states can determine the manner in which their electors are assigned for the president in the Electoral College, but the Constitution unambiguously gives that power to the state legislators, not the state Supreme Courts, not the state governors, there has to be legislation that originates, just like all revenue bills, all bills that deal with revenue, raising revenue for the federal government, have to originate in the House of Representatives. That's it. The Senate can sit there with bated breath, have their ideas, have their legislation ready to go, know what they're going to do. But until something comes out of the House, they can't, they can't pass something and then send it over. They can pass other legislation and send it over to the House. They can't constitutionally raise taxes in a bill that starts in the Senate. That's just, it's in the plain language of the Constitution. Well, the plain language of the Constitution says that the states decide through their state legislators the manner in which the electors are assigned. In a lot of places like Pennsylvania, just north of us here in Maryland, the state Supreme Court decreed, now the Republicans did some stupid things there too, but the state Supreme Court decreed that certain law changes were necessary, extending deadlines and things like that during COVID. For no other reason than they said there would probably be a problem. Again, the, the crystal ball theory of legal legalese. That is patently unconstitutional. My friend Sean Parnell was running for Congress that at that time, and he sued because they changed the laws on how votes could be counted, calculated, collected, and whatever, by decree from the governor and decree from the Supreme Court. And at the time, his case was denied because there'd been no wrong yet before the election. Nobody had been wronged. Well, after the election, you got about six weeks to appeal. Now, the legal process is pretty arduous, takes a lot of time. There's no way to litigate fully something wildly complicated if you have to wait until the vote is certified, which took about a week, eating into that six weeks, and then get relief before, by law and statute, the vote has to be certified. So he was denied before the election, saying there had been no harm yet. And then after the election, his appeal was denied because there was no time to issue relief. So it's a catch-22. Well, Mike Johnson wanted to fix that. 
or was filing an amicus brief on behalf of the Trump campaign addressing this issue. That makes him an election denier in the eyes of Margaret Brennan. But that's not the point of this clip. Listen to Margaret Brennan admit that she's never actually read the brief. She's read criticism of the brief. Now, where do you think she's reading this criticism from? Maybe the Washington Post, maybe CBS News, more than likely some left-wing legal quote-unquote scholar or somebody at Media Matters spinning it. And that seems to be good enough for Margaret Brennan, even though she looks like a complete buffoon in this clip. Back in uh, 2021, you were the lawmaker who circulated the the legal brief known as the Texas amicus brief, um, challenging the 2020 election outcome in a number of states which by CBS editorial standards makes you an election denier. That's so, nonsense. Well, that's, can I get you on the record on that? I've like, always you, been consistent on the record. Did you read the brief? Did you get a chance to read what we filed with the Supreme Court? Well, I, I have read extensively some criticisms of you've, that. You've but, read commentary about the brief, but not what we submitted to the court. But right? you recognize that President Biden won the 2020 election. Can you the, just put President that aside President Biden was issue? certified as the winner of the election. He took the oath of office. He's been the president for three years. What I, The argument that we presented to the court, which is our only avenue to do so, was that the Constitution was clearly violated in the 2020 election. It's Article 2, Section 1, and anyone can Google it and read it for themselves. The, the system mm-hmm. by which you choose electors to elect the president of the United States uh, must be done by the individual states, and it, the system must be ratified by the state legislatures. That is language, plain so language out of the Constitution. have issues That's with the validity of the 2020 election. The Constitution was violated in the run-up to the 2020 election. Not, not always in bad faith, but in, in the aftermath of COVID, many states changed their election laws in ways that violated that plain language. That's just a fact. It is just a fact, but Margaret Brennan has no idea. She has no concern, whatever, by the editorial standards of CBS News. Right there, stop the presses. CBS News has editorial standards? Who knew? When did this happen? Has somebody informed the ghost of Dan Rather? Dan Rather's still alive-ish? Huh. I do so love it when they get a big dose of their own medicine and when they have the rug pulled out from underneath them. The smugness of it. Yes, but this is election denialism. He's pointing out how, did you read the brief? It's not war and peace. It's not that big. Did you read it? No, but I've, I've read extensive criticism of it. Oh, okay. When's the last time you based a question to a Democrat based upon extensive criticism you've read from conservatives? I'll wait. Actually, I'll just short circuit it right now and go ahead and say never. Okay, I want to shift gears here. I want to play this clip from Alina Haba. Alina Haba is, she came out of nowhere. Donald Trump has, let's just say Donald Trump does not hire unattractive lawyers. Let's just put it that way. And most of his lawyers have to spend the vast majority of their time, I don't know if they're billable hours, going on Fox But if they're not, then somebody's really getting screwed over. But they are on TV all the time, and they're usually good-looking women. Or, you know, I mean, like, former Trump attorney, and then you go, oh, this will be a guy. Former Trump attorney's a guy, current Trump attorney's a good-looking woman. Can't say that I blame him, but uh, I'm not sure that I would do that. Anyway, Alina Haba is representing him in the civil case. Now, civil cases of note and, and ridiculous. Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, is trying to seek like $350 million in punishments for a, quote, crime that there's 
no victim in. Donald Trump lied on his loan applications. Uh, uh, were the loans repaid? I mean, let's look at loan applications. Hunter Biden lie on the terms of his loan application from his dad? Oh, did he actually get a loan? They're not interested in that. But the loan applications, the loans were repaid. The banks are happy. There is no wronged person. But there is an This is the problem with a, an ever-growing state in the hands of people who want it to grow even more, is if they want to come after you, they can. They just can. There's a book, I don't know, it's got to be 20 years ago now or something like that, about how the average person commits three felonies a day without even knowing it, because everything is so, the government at all levels is just so large that you simply can't help but do that. But the... Uh, the legal case up in New York, the civil trial, is one that um, it's noted because the president attends it most days. It's kind of an existential threat against the vast majority of his businesses. And the, he complains an awful lot about lack of a jury trial and how unfair it was. But I would point out that... Uh, Alina Haba and the rest of the legal team did not request a jury trial. They did not. It's unclear whether or not they would have gotten a jury. But at the start of the trial, the judge noted this is CNN politics. This is you can find it anywhere. This just happens to be CNN. So if you're rolling your eyes, going, oh, CNN, you can find this anywhere. The Trump legal team did not request a jury trial. So. They can't really complain about there not being a jury if you didn't request one. Like I said, it's unclear whether or not they would have gotten one, but you're not going to get one. It's like if you order something at a restaurant and they forget to bring you your toast, that's one thing. If you didn't order toast, that's something different. Is toast included? Should you have asked for toast? If you meant to ask for toast, is the waiter supposed to know? No. So all of the complaining about a lack of a jury trial, just keep in mind that it wouldn't have been necessarily granted, but it will never be granted if you don't ask for it, especially when the prosecutor expressly calls for a bench trial. Right? So you have to combat that. Uh, anyway, Alina Haba was on a podcast at the end of last week for reasons I don't know. I don't know why the... Look, the Trump organization has enough political people. If I'm a lawyer facing an existential threat against my business, I spent my life up against building and everything. I might employ a lawyer to do the PR for it and the legalese thing for television, not opine about everything else going on. You know, my lawyer for the New York case wouldn't be talking about what's going on in Georgia, for example, wouldn't be talking about anything in any case they're not directly involved in. But they sure as hell wouldn't be going on podcasts to talk about politics. I want them too busy defending me to worry about stupid questions on podcasts like whether or not you'd rather be hot or smart. There's no doubt that Alina Haba is attractive. The fact that she went on this podcast, aside from the fact that she neglected to ask for a fight for a jury trial makes me question the other part, which she says in this clip, she can fake. Well, you can only fake for so long. Somebody said to me, Alina, would you rather be 
um, would you rather be smart or pretty? And I said, oh, easy, pretty. I can fake being smart. <laughs> but, I meet them all the time, Lena. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the honest truth. And it's going to make me, yeah. you know, I'm sure there'll be some so Washington cool. Post article about it tomorrow. Daily Beast, my favorite. But uh-uh. listen, like, you have to be honest. It doesn't hurt to be good looking in this world, in the PR world, on TV. It doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. And when you're good looking, that's great, but it can also mean people think you're stupid or people think that President Trump hired me because I was good looking. That is absolutely not the case. Um, I want a lawyer who's too busy to do things like this. Afterwards, you create a celebrity. Look, everybody in the OJ trial went on to get, you know, 15 book deals, deals and everything, except for Lance Ito. Did we ever get a Lance Ito? I don't think we ever got a Lance Ito book. But everybody else in there got book deals and TV shows and cable news contributorships and everything. I'm all fine with that. They got them after the trial. They got them after their job was done. I don't want a lawyer, whether she looks like a chud or she looks like a supermodel, to be running around going on video podcasts talking about vapid things like this. If you're on the payroll, you're on the payroll to defend me. And if you're not defending me, then I don't want you out there. That's just me. But then uh, I'm not a multi-billionaire. What the hell do I know? Uh, I want to shift gears again because there's a, I saw this clip on uh, the, what is it? The woke something or other, libs of TikTok. One of these Twitter accounts that tracks these people on social media tweeted out this video of a, another attractive doctor, Nicole Van Groningen, G R O N I N G E N. Now she's a fit young doctor of internal medicine out at Cedar Sinai, out in California. That is not, you know, the neighborhood clinic. That's a serious medical place. And uh, it looks like she's been a doctor for maybe six, seven years, something like that. Like I say, she completed her residency in 2016, so whatever that makes her. Young, good-looking, she's been doing, she's done a lot of TV, at least locally out there in Los Angeles. And she's got 40, was it 45,000 followers on, 45,800 followers on her TikTok. Again, if your doctor has a TikTok account, I don't know. See if there's another doctor. <laughs> Look into it at least. But I would recommend against going to a medical professional or a professional anybody who has an active TikTok. You can have had a TikTok. I can forgive that. But an active TikTok where you opine about anything is probably not something that I would want in a medical professional. Anyway, she was opining this morning, or at least I saw it this morning, about obesity, morbid obesity, which we have a a big problem with in this country. There's something called FATCON. Have you heard about FATCON? FATCON.org, F-A-T-C-O-N.org. It is a convention, I guess it just happened over the weekend, out in Seattle, says, come enjoy the biggest fat celebration of the year with over 30 plus hours 
of programming, amazing keynote speakers, a fashion show, and a vendor hall, all geared towards generating fat joy and informing the fat experience. It's going to be the convention you've always wanted to attend. And now there are four levels of tickets. You could buy the Fat Friend ticket, which gets you into the event, gets you to a brunch, and then you go to the vendor hall and the panels. The Plump Patron, which gets you access to a hospitality suite and food. Then there's the Fat Bay, B-A-E, which gives you priority registration, a Fat Con t-shirt, because, I don't know, that's what you want. And then Fat Royalty, which gets you into everything. I'm, I'm not kidding. I assume it gets you, like, priority at the elevator, too, if there's separate floors of this thing. And there's a whole bunch of sponsors. I love the, the sponsors. are. It's weird. I don't know. It's my experience. My gay friends are all fit, are all in good shape. But a whole bunch of Alphabet Mafia groups are supporting this group. Capital City Pride, Windy or Wild Tiny, all sorts of rainbows all over the sponsorship page. Um, and then there's a whole bunch of uh, weight conscious, putting it nicely, weight conscious podcasts, big fig mattresses, the mattress for a bigger figure. Anyway, we have a, if you've, it's a weird message that society is sending. Because one of the, half the messages on TV are Americans are morbidly obese and they need to lose weight. And then you get shows like My Thousand Pound Sister. You scroll through the Discovery Channel <clears throat> on any given day and it is really my 2,000 pound life. I've got people burning up in my atmosphere, caught in a gravitation. All of these shows to celebrate it. And they're not like, this is my struggle with weight shows. These are triumphant things. I don't care how you live your life. I'm very libertarian when it comes to that, but I care about lies people tell. They care about, I'm somebody going to the gym, got weight to lose, et cetera, et cetera. But my God, I've never fooled myself into saying, you know what? Uh, I'm perfectly healthy at any weight. No, nobody's perfectly healthy at any weight. You might be overweight and not on the verge of death, but that doesn't make you perfectly healthy. Anyway, listen to Dr. Nicole Van Groenen. That's the best I can do. Talk about how it's absolutely fine. Being overweight is perfectly cool. Here's my hot take as a doctor. I totally agree. It is okay to be fat. We don't say that enough, but it needs to be normalized. If you are fat, that is okay. It is typically not a problem that requires immediate solving. It is not an emergency. You don't have to drop everything in the pursuit of being not fat. Aaron said this other thing in a different video that I totally agree with as well, is that it is okay to not be healthy. We act like it is this moral failing, this cardinal sin that you deserve a scarlet letter if you are not healthy. And there's a name for that, and that's called healthism. Now, don't get me wrong. In my line of work, there's a lot of people that I see that want to gain weight, lose weight, take other measures that they think will improve their health in some way. And by all means, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you with that and be supportive of that. But a good doctor will not judge you for being fat. They will not judge you for being unhealthy. They will not judge the decisions that you made or the decisions that were made for you, which is the much more likely scenario that got you to the point where you are right now. 
we're here to help you with the changes that you want to make. And if you are someone who wants to lose weight for health purposes, and there are certain scenarios where losing weight can be health promoting, we're here to help you with that. We are also here to help you if you decide to not make any changes at all. We're still there. Being there to administer medical care, I don't question that. If you make unhealthy choices and then something goes sideways, health-wise, your doctor should be like, well, you know, I told you not to have that Danish. Sorry, you're on your own, pal. No, I don't want that. But the general attitude, if we're not here to judge you, we're not here to tell you that judge, okay, don't judge. But if somebody walks in with like a pig pen stink aura of cigarette smoke around them, and the doctor goes, do you smoke? Yes, that's cool. If you want to keep smoking, that's fine. There's, I'm not going to. Your doctor should say, you know, you should probably quit. Don't you go to the doctor? You don't go to the doctor for affirmation. I really want the doctor. Somebody's nagging me to quit smoking, but I'm going to go to my doctor and see if I can get my doctor to tell me it's perfectly fine to go. As long as I go from Marlboro Reds to Marlboro Lights, although they now do them all by color because they try to pretend. They, they, they'd gotten rid of the light, so nobody thinks it's healthier for them. If you thought that lighting something on fire and sucking it into your lungs was healthier, one version was healthier than the other, you're, you're not that great on the uptake. But, and I say that as a former smoker of lights and ultralights, going, yeah, this is good. But the doctor is sitting there going, I'm not going to judge you, and you, you can be whatever weight you want. No, you can be to be a, you know, a Sports Illustrated cover model. But healthy is something different. Unless you're absolutely dying at that particular moment, your doctor doesn't need to sit there and go, my God, we need to get you into the operating room, staple your stomach or anything like that. But your doctor should be going, you know, you're smoking. In 20 years, that's not going to work out good for you if you don't quit. Or you're carrying around 300 extra pounds. Fine now. You're young. You can handle it. But when you get around 50 or 60, if you don't do something about it, your knees are going to start to give out. Your heart is going to have a lot of problems. You're, you don't see any people in the nursing homes that are morbidly obese. That's not a coincidence. And oh, by the way, if you're talking about medical professionals, you just go to cdc.gov and you go to the obesity basics page. Now, you just heard a doctor say, it's no big deal. Do whatever you want. Well, the last paragraph, and it's only a three-paragraph page, obesity is, a serious, is, obesity is serious because it is associated with poor mental health outcomes and reduced quality of life. In the United States and worldwide, obesity is also associated with the leading causes of death, including deaths from diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and some types of cancer. But you just heard a doctor say, it's no big shake. What are you going to do? In fact, have a big shake. It's perfectly fine to be able to, okay, you can be fine. And if you want to die of a stroke at 45, I'm not going to judge you. Just like if you want to become a heroin addict, I don't think it's very productive. I don't want you living near me. I don't want you anywhere around my kids. But if you want to ruin your own life, go ahead and ruin your own life. Just don't ask me to subsidize it. But don't ever fool yourself into thinking that what you're doing is somehow okay or even health neutral because it's not and there you go ladies and gentlemen i've got to go finish dinner cooking dinner and uh, get ready for the national championship game by the time you hear this the game will be over the winner will be decided 
but uh, by the time I recorded this, the game hadn't even started yet. So I'm getting excited. So there you go. Which means that probably Michigan will lose. So sorry if you bet on them. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow uh, to commiserate about it or whatever. And whatever else happens between now and then. Appreciate you listening. Have a great one. See you tomorrow.